Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's check in. What is it? Ch- it sounds it like a chicken. <laughs> Let's check in with Miss Charity Ann Farmer. I can't unhear that. Now, every time you say that, that's what I hear. Well, Hello, everyone. <laughs> we're not deleting that. This is how it's going. We're going to leave that in. Happy What's podcast. Up, how are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty I got my. Good. my my let's do this here. I got my red dealer talk shirt. So you see that right there? Where is it? There. That means that means we, we need serious business here. Oh, it's all weird. I got my shirt on too. Yeah, but yours isn't red, dude. Red means business. Black means I'm um, at home in my pajamas on a Friday and I'm not working. I am not in my pajamas, but I do have a blanket. See? Because I'm cold. Told I told you. Anyways. It's like 95 degrees outside and I've got a blanket. Well, you're just getting, you're, you're getting acclimated to what's ahead. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what's going on with you? How was your week? Everything good? Did you know that today is International Podcast Day? Did you know that? Is it? It is. That's Happy International Podcast Day. Happy. We should have gotten balloons. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, was National Beer Day. Let's <laughs> not get carried away. Okay. Somebody likes to drink. Note that. Um, oh. Happy Na- International Podcast Day? I think it is, yeah. I think. You know, I don't know. Why don't look it up? Check it right now. I'm gonna do yes. like Joe Rogan tells us what's that what a uh, James or whatever. Look at this. Pull this up. Put it on the screen. His dude. Am I his I'm the dude? Well, yeah, the 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 dudette. The dudette. Um, it is See? international podcast. I told you. Yes. Yep. It says that repeatedly with different words. Yeah. So anyway. international celebration of the podcast podcast. There we go. Okay. Well, let's kick it. Uh, that was a little uh tongue twisting thing we're leaving this in we're not cutting anything we're gonna roll with it um so luis no edits on this um let's get into it let's get into it let's kick it off with our automotive news automotive news for today am i going first or you going first no i'll I'll just kick it off so um, I wanted to start with the with with Tesla recall. So they have, I think it's it. I don't know. I don't. 
I don't know the specifics, folks. Don't quote me. Charity, if you find a link, put it in the show notes so that, you know, um, um, you know, keep myself honest. But so there's a recall. Uh, there's a Tesla recall. I think it has something to do. It doesn't sound like it's major. It has to do something with the windows or something like that. But, you know, it's a recall. So I don't know. My point is that they're recalling like a million cars and they have only like 2.5 or 2.6 million on the road. So uh, that's pretty crazy, especially because um, how are they going to accomplish that? They don't, they, I don't, you know, I think they have only like 2,000 or 3,000 service departments, something like that. So how Do are they, they going to handle Departments. I'm they're in, they're in different places, and in some cases, people have to drive, you know, to get there. But my point is, how are they going to handle that? How are they going to handle that volume? Which is a good point to think about two things, right? To, that needs to be considered. One is what are they going to do in the future? Well, now, granted, a lot of these updates they can do over the air, which is awesome. But, you know, what if you do have a situation where you have to have the customer in the shop like this one, which I think they do, um, how are they going to handle that volume? And the more they grow, the more of a problem that's going to become. They're going to have, there has to be a, uh, a situation. I don't know. Do the math. What that, if it's 3,000, let's just I say it's 3,000. So 3, many questions. If it's 3,000, so how many customers would it be per store? Like. 15,000 14,000. We're going to find out. Okay. Well, <laughs> that number's high. According to what I just Googled, it says okay. Tesla currently operates over 673 stores and service centers. 673. See, I didn't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know where I got 3000. I must've read that somewhere or I don't know. So, Okay, six hundred and seventy. That's even so. Do one point six. Do the math. What's how? What does that equate on a per customer basis? At one point one. Oh no, no one. There's zero. Six hundred. Let's let's be nice and say that should be math. I should be able to do in my head. If you did a thousand, that's eleven hundred. Per service center. 1,100 customers times 671, 676? No, no, no. If I do 1.1 million by 1,000 service centers, so we upped it from 673 just to be nice. Anyways. 1,100 I mean, I, per. No, I, I, don't, I don't like your math. Hold on. <laughs> Why do you ask me to do the math? No, We've no, had the discussion. This, Divided by yeah, so that'll be about 1,500 customers per service department. You know where I got 15,000 from. 1,500. That's a lot of people, man. 1,500, if that number's correct. I mean, these, listen, I don't know how many service departments they actually have, but if it's 676, yeah, that's, that's about 1,500 customers per. Uh, that's a lot of folks, man, you know, so, um, so there's that yeah, issue, again, right? Go back to where like, Oh, but they, they the have, they have for the service customers. departments, Charity. They have Vegas? 
Yes, they have like two or three. They have them. They just don't have enough of them. And that's my point. We're talking about EVs and creating infrastructure and growth. How are they going to handle this? What are they going to do when they get to 10 million cars? You know, and then the bigger question becomes what's going to happen with, um, you know, are they going to have like, is Jiffy Lube, like what is Jeffy Lube going to do, for example, on the oil change business? Let's say we get to a point where there's like 50% EV or whatever, that's going to erode away that business model of the Jiffy Loops. Or are they going to partner up? Like, I don't, there's just a lot of things up in the air with that, that a lot of questions that have been posed on my brain with that, with that whole setup and that whole situation that I wanted to, to, to talk about here. Uh, because I think that's an opportunity for, 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 for our industry, for dealers, for, for the, uh, for the retail side of, of what we do and what form, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, fully thought that out but um i just think that there's a lot you know just from a marketing standpoint i mean think about a, a good a good um anti you know i don't know anti-tesla slogan or whatever um well, but, i've got one you know, you know what you that, oh yeah mine totally rolls into yours um the they just approved 1.5 billion dollars which was money that was already approved, but now it's a, it's approved, approved um, in charging stations all over the United States and in Puerto Rico. So then I was like, well, how many charging stations do you need in Puerto Rico? Right. <laughs> or how far are we going in Puerto Rico? So I looked it up. There are only 26 charging stations in Puerto Rico right now. Do you know how many people live in Puerto Rico? I do not. 3.1 million people live in Puerto Rico. Right. But how many of those are driving Teslas? Well, not very many because there's only yeah. 26 charging stations, which is one charging station for every 120,000 people. Yeah. But but you can have char uh, your, your portals at home and stuff. I mean. Well, but it goes into the infrastructure right. thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean. And that that thousand miles of row of um coverage is what 1.5 billion dollars buys by the way and that's that's the question right i i saw a post on linkedin i can't remember who it was from i think it was from a dealer principal and he was like why didn't we start with hybrid technology first it would be a a perfect compromise of the two worlds it would be a bridge between range anxiety and all this infrastructure mm -hmm. um you could have dual dual functions like uh, combustion and even charging, right? Where you have That's both what of we them. Were and you could, about with power yeah, and you can charge at home. You know, it just it just seems like that would have been a better way. And I think that's how, what Toyota's been focusing on is is hybrids and um, um, hydrogen. I think is another one that they're that they're looking at mm -hmm. extensively as well, but. I don't know, man. It just seems like there's a lot of acceleration and I get it. It's, you mm -hmm. know, I think there's a lot of pluses, but I also think that, um, I don't know. There's just a lot of, of things that are, that haven't been fully fleshed out. Like another thought that I had the other day is we really haven't had a lot of these EVs out in, on the road for long periods of time. So we don't have enough data to say, what you know because there's all this talk on this on the fixed stop side which i'm glad we're talking to mike today because hopefully we'll cover some of those topics but there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about 
how this is going to impact the service department and the profitability. These cars require minimal maintenance, if any, and really only tires and, you know, windshield wiper blades are, are you know, accessories or whatever. But we don't know that. I don't, we don't know what that I, at one point, um, um, you know, we had the same situation where um, our service departments were, you know, they were talking about warranties and how that was eroded away the business and it didn't. So I don't know how that, but we don't know is my point of how, what that's going to look like in five years, 10 years from now. So there's just a lot of, a lot of speculation and a lot of, you know, talk. Well, they're going to have to catch it's it. Not enough, right. But with not enough data to back any of it up. You know, so New York it seems just, like hybrid would have been mm -hmm. New York it just seems like hybrid would have been a good compromise. New York just announced that they're going to follow California and ban the sale of combustion engines by 2035. They might be 20, 2035. Mm -hmm. Well. We'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. I mean, a lot of that stuff is still up in the air. But anyway, moving along, September. So uh, September is, uh, is is looking pretty good. And I wanted to talk about that because uh, some of the early stats are out and we're expected to end with a 5% year over year rise in retail sales. But what's really impressive or not impressive, but what's really exciting about that is that uh, new car sales um, are expected to be up about 11.8%. So, um, look at the, the overall impact of, of new car activity. If I were, you know, if, if I was looking at a group or an individual store from a, from a performance standpoint, I would be looking at, yes, I mean, did my new car sales increase, but then how did that impact the rest of my operations? Did that, did that impact service that did that impact used car activity? Because I think there's been, obviously, I don't think, I know there's been a lot of misses um, holistically, which is another thing we'll hopefully talk with Mike about. But there's been a lot of misses holistically because of the, the retail impact uh, side of things. And um, we've covered a lot how that's uh, put stress on the front end of the house, but we haven't looked at how that has impacted the overall operation which a lot of those effects we, we still haven't felt folks so that's another thing like um you think that inventory shortages has been bad i mean think about what that's been what that's doing to your service business you know next year and even in 2024 mm -hmm. so um that's how you feel about september and then what was that? I said, that's how you feel about September. I have one, yeah. but it's funny. So. Okay. Hit us with it. Um, you heard about Tesla's Cybertruck. I have. Um, so Elon <laughs> posted this tweet yet today, yesterday. <laughs> this is so funny. He said... Cyber truck will be waterproof enough to serve briefly as a boat so it can cross rivers, lakes, and even seas that aren't too choppy. So I read that to my daughter and she said, can't all cars serve briefly as boats, mom? Can they? <laughs> like, oh. 
They float briefly. for a little bit of time. <laughs> Define briefly. Two minutes? Yeah. Like, words that you never want to associate with nautical travel. Briefly. briefly. Yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> not good. Especially if you, if you have the captain's philosophy, right? Have you seen in the... You're not going to ask what the captain what philosophy about? is? Come on, no. What's the captain philosophy? You go down with your ship. <laughs> Anyways, could you? So, hey, Luis, put that um, in that in that joke like a the drum, like <laughs> and put some artificial laughter in there too, since Charity didn't laugh. Like, <laughs> no, put crickets right there. Ooh, we'll see what he what he actually ends up doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay did you see the when i was scrolling through the news this morning everybody is just oh i can't remember what it was hang on oh geez here we go how can you say something and not and not have it we will edit that out no we're not going to edit anything out we're running the whole we're thing editing. the way that it comes out we're not editing anything. <laughs> Luis, you don't have my permission to edit anything. I mean, <laughs> about that. All the other stuff I said before this, yes, you can edit that. <laughs> okay. So what else you got? That's it. Right on. So it was, it was a light day for me. Right on. Very cool. Well. That's our automotive news for, for this episode. We have Mr. Mike Vogel on the show. Super excited to mm -hmm. talk to that dude. Um, super excited to talk about fixed stops because there's a lot of thoughts brewing in my head and um, should be good. Anyway, let's talk about our blog post of the week. <laughs> Blog post of the week. We this is the, are talking. This is the, the laughing episode. <laughs> yes, the Get laughing. It together, Charity Ann. With on, no now. editing. It's always laughing. I just edit most of it out. What are we talking about in the blog post? You wanted to be in charge of the news. Well, and you're doing the blog post, so do your thing. What are we talking about? We're talking about um, converting more website leads. Website traffic. Is that what and we're talking about? And how are we? Oh, doing yeah. That? So I how do you want to approach this? We one of the ways that you can convert more website traffic is by incentivizing your customer to give you their information. And how do we do that? Okay, we so <laughs> All righty. So, okay. So we're, you know, obviously there is, um, there's kind of two sides, if you will, when you're looking at uh, um, marketing, there's the message and then there's a response. So my philosophy is I want my message to drive as many people as possible, as many in-market shoppers into my sandbox. I'm not a big believer of taking them to third parties or 
wherever my competition is per se. Um, I want them to be in my, in the space that I control. But then once I get them there, what do we do? What's that experience like? I'm talking about the tingly, nice feel, that stuff that you do in person or over the phone. That's a different thing. When I'm talking about a digital experience, I mean how e easy it is for them to navigate through the website through the point of gathering the information that they need. So they get there and then gathering the information that they need to satisfy whatever um, inquiry they, they, they potentially have. Or, or if nothing else, to look at the, the, the merchandise. Because at the end of the day, guys, we're selling a, a product, right? Um, but we've done a terrible job at customizing our websites to essentially be huge lead traps. Right. And we put like 50 million different CTAs on the VDP. And now we're doing it on the SRP as if it weren't enough that they're already bombarded by, you know, give me your information, call to action on the VDP. Now we have to put them on the SRP too. Soon they'll be on the homepage. And now anywhere the customer goes, they'll be like, give me your information. You know, it's just kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So, um, but consumers, it's not that consumers don't want to give you their information, folks, is that you haven't given them a reason to. When you give them a reason to give you their information, they will. But it has to be tied to something intrinsic. It has to be something tied to value for them. You know, you don't need 50 million different calls to action on your website. You just need one, one good one. That's it. One good one is all you need. Um, and, uh, that's why we, we partner up with, uh, with, uh, the folks over at run my lease because their experience is easy. It's seamless. It makes sense. It's verifiable, which is the most important piece. Um, because you know that the customer has said, this is how I choose to communicate. This is what I prefer. And they're verifying or validating that that's accurate, right? So when you get that information, you know, what they prefer, how they prefer to communicate, and you know that it's legit, right? Because they have to verify it themselves before you ever get it. And so um, I, we kind of, we way overcomplicate. Verify, they have to send a code to themselves and then- Correct. Yeah, this, they, they put in the information, they get a four digit code on their phone or their email, wherever they say they prefer to communicate. And then they have to put that in the, in, in the widget or whatever to, to, to showcase. And they have all kinds of, I mean, uh, we work with Jared Neves. He's one of the founders. Uh, love that dude. He's super flexible. You know, I can't think of a, any situation where I called him and was like, dude, I need you to do this or switch it in this way or change this or add that. And he was like, no, I can't do it. And he's always like, yeah, man, we can make that happen. And they do. And that's, that's another, another plus for them that they're, uh, flexible uh, in order to do that, which makes it super easy and convenient for, for, for the store. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we want to control this digital experience and we want to, we're, we're, we have FOMO when it comes to our website. We just fear that somebody's going to go there and we're going to lose them or whatever. And that's just ridiculous. Instead of focusing on that, why don't you focus on making the website like an actual website, like an actual trackable um, you know, um, intelligent um, um, platform 
You know what I mean? These websites are hollow. They don't do anything. Don't you think your website should be sending customer emails? It should be tracking behavior and sending you. That's a better, that's a better investment than a lead. Tracking behavior. Hey, most of your customers between one and three do this. They average, they see on average 15 photos. Isn't that more valuable information for you? Um, they spend X amount of time on your website and they, they navigate between all these different things. And like, you know, maybe there's AI built into your website that is emailing customers or asking customers if they want to be communicated to. Maybe you're collecting first party data and you can do something with that. What about arranging your website kind of like a Netflix? Hey, if you sign in to my website, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to put your your, your preferences, I'm going to put the top preferences in my area, and then I'm going to put uh, the national preferences. You know, what if you want to leave the website and come back? Isn't it better if you come back to the same experience you left? I mean, there's all these different things that we could be doing. Don't you want to send an ad directly from your website instead of having to call, you know, a, a, an agency? Like, it's just, there's all these different things that we should be doing with our websites that we're not doing. These things are hollow, they don't do anything, they're front facing. Um, uh, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. WordPress, um, blogs is, I mean, it's just, I don't know. And don't even get me started on website because we're going to, you know, as you can see, I'm very passionate. Run my link was a really great first step toward all of this. Like, uh, (laughs) but, but, uh, but you know, if you're going to create that experience, you don't need a million different CTAs. Please stop putting a bunch of stuff on your SRP pages. It's annoying. It doesn't do anything. Pick one call to action, a really good one, and put that on your website and be done with it. Trust me, you're not going to miss out on anything. If you got the car and you got a good experience, and most importantly, if you're pricing right, you're going to win, dude. You're going to win because I can get that car anywhere for the most part. So, uh, you know, just focus on, on building something that's better or having something that's better holistically than just capturing a lead. I mean, come on, it's 2022. Nobody submits <clears throat> lead. Okay, so I'm gonna, one, oh, I used to work for this small independent dealer, tiny little dealership. And one of the biggest concerns that the owner consistently had, the biggest fear was that if he didn't have something to capture a name and a phone number, then he would never know what was going on and he would be missing out all the time. Yeah, well, so, then what do you think? Just lead gate your website then, right? Hey, you want to go into my website? Great, give me your email first. You know, there you go. That's better. Is that what you would recommend? No, I would not. If it were up to me, dude, no, no CTAs on the website, zero, none. One call to action, buy now. That's it. That's all I really care about. That's all I care about. That's all you should care about. Are you getting traffic to your website and are they ready to buy now? That's it. That's all you care about. And that's all you should care about, you know? So, and I'm not saying, listen, it's, you have to have leads. I get it. I understand it's part of the game, but you don't have to have a bunch of them, right? Just have one good one, one really good one. And that's why I like these guys. That's why I like run my lease. That's why I'm, I'm willing to recommend them, do a blog post about them and come on, on the show and, 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 and pretty much do a commercial for them because it, it, <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. Like, I mean, listen, read, 
we don't we don't partner with everybody i'm not just gonna you know like i always tell people like come to your own conclusions whenever i talk about a vendor on the show but these guys are good and they're they're willing to do a 60-day trial for free i mean come on like it doesn't get any better than that man go try it and if you don't like it if it doesn't deliver for you then be done you know what i mean you have nothing to lose so um, but I, I just, I'm not a big fan of the way that we're doing things. I think we're overcomplicating it. We have too much FOMO when it comes to our website experience and our, and what customers do, po you know, post getting to our site and we're, we're missing the bigger picture. We, we it's just gotta be better. There's just too much technology and there's too much opportunity and there's too much talent in this industry, uh, to not have something better. I mean, most websites, the images are still JPEG. They're not even, um, um wet pee like come on like why don't we focus on that it's like when we were talking to durant cage the other day like we're focused on digital retailing and selling a car online we can't freaking fix a customer waiting in the room in the in the showroom for five freaking hours like it just it's it's, it's asinine nonsense anyway there's my there's my blog post for the week folks <laughs> now you guys all know why i wanted him to do it because i knew that was all in there so <laughs> <laughs> I just... without further ado it's time to get our guest on the show mr mike vogel super excited to have you sir mike welcome to the show hey what's up mike how you doing man doing great thanks for having me herb hello yeah man we're super doing? excited to have you on the show um, lots to talk about, but, uh, we typically kick things off here with an intro. So tell us about you. So, um, I've been in the uh, automotive industry about 40 plus years, um, started out as an entry level porter and, uh, in the service department and worked my way up, uh, to a service advisor position, eventually service manager, service director, fixed ops director, and then corporate fixed operations director, before I finally um, went into semi-retirement. And since then, I've been doing some coaching for car dealerships, as well as working with uh, several different vendors that are in the fixed ops space. And uh, that kind of gets me up to speed where we are today. Right on, sir. Very good. Um, I'm very excited because as you know, a lot of people that follow the show know I started in fixed ops. That's kind of where I cut my teeth. I was a, a tire tech and a loop technician and kind of went from there. And so, um, super excited to have you on here. I'm just going to get right into it, dude, because I see a lot of conversations about the uncertainty of the industry and, um, variable side is this big conversation, but I don't really think that we've comprehend the impact that COVID and this whole pandemic and this whole situation has had on the fixed up side of the house, which is a lot more severe in my opinion. I mean, we're lucky right now that we have the interest rate situation, but, um, you know, typically historically speaking, when you see a decrease in new car sales, that tends to hit the service department about, you know, six, typically 12 months after the fact. We've had two years of less new car inventory kind of flowing through the pipe, so to speak. And that's we haven't even felt that impact yet. So what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Do you think that, we'll, you know, we're 
we're not paying as close attention to that portion as we should be? Or do you think that things are pretty much going to stay in this uh, ramped up state? What's your take? I think um, there are several challenges within the fixed op space. Um, number one is um, typically, and this doesn't obviously apply to every dealership, but there's too many dealerships that are not retaining customers and they haven't been retaining customers for a long, long time. And those dealerships are probably going to be the ones impacted the most over what's been going on over the last several years. The other thing is, you know, what does the future look like? You know, as as the talks ramp up, all you hear everywhere you read, every story, every podcast you hear talking about electric vehicles and the coming. And granted, it it, it might be ten years off before it's a it's a serious impact, but it's it's going to have a play. There's going to be less maintenance to do on the cars, um, so there's going to be less visits to the dealership. How does how is a fixed ops department supposed to survive when they're selling less parts, seeing less customers in the drive? So, but most importantly, I think is the retention issue. And we in the dealership space have talked a good talk for decades, but really not enough have really followed through on what needs to be done to retain more customers. And, you know, everybody that I talk to in the industry that's working in dealerships currently, they are seeing less cars going through their service departments right now. However, a lot of those customers are being hammered on dollars per RO and hours per RO and effective labor rate. So financially, they're doing fine, but car count is not there. And that's that's a dangerous place to be, in my opinion. Man, I totally agree, and that's why I, I, I wanted to have this conversation. And I, I, you know, you you were like somebody that I was like, dude, it'd be great to kind of jam this out with Mike because, yeah, man, I told I, I'm with you. I think that so here's what we know, right? The mean year has they just it just um, you know so last year or or maybe in 2020 it was 11 point something, right? So now they're saying it's 12 years, so it's been extended. Mm-hmm. So that's going to impact your dollars per RO, right? Because customers are keeping their vehicles longer, which means they're willing to invest on keeping that car, maintaining that car. So it's not just, or not not that it's not just, it's not the service maintenance business that we that we're we've gotten accustomed to. Yeah, but that so well, now it's, Herb, while that's while that's true. Uh, the the pro the bigger problem is that after. After three or four years or when the warranty periods expired, the dealerships already lost 75% of those customers. So they're only retaining 25% of those customers long term. So imagine if if a dealership could do a much better job in, in taking care of their customers, if they were re- able to return, uh, I'm sorry, retain another 10, 15, 20, 25% of those customers, what does that look like? for their bottom line it's huge right but so so then the question is that was already happening right we were already having issues with loyalty prior to covid and then covid comes into the picture and we have less cars so it's less of an opportunity to build that loyalty and how when that finally catches up i think you know because there is going to be a tipping point where the ro's uh, the amount and the spend per kind of normalize to a certain degree, and then um, it's then then the impact's going to be felt, right? And and the service department is the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, depending on how you run your operation, profit centers that that, that you know in the in the dealership. 
So I don't know, man. I just think that we're talking a lot about the the thing that we see right in front of us, which is variable, but we're not thinking about the impact that that stuff has on the whole operation. So, um, and what are we doing right now as an industry, or, you know, if we look at it on a per dealership basis to prepare or to hedge against that? So we should have been preparing from day one and we should be prepared every day. I mean, I, I don't know why, you know, as an industry, and actually it's probably at the country as a whole, we always seem unprepared for downturns. You know, look at the real estate market and what they go through, all the cycles they go through. I, I think the dealership world is similar. And, you know, why didn't we do a better job retaining customers 20 years ago? And, and I'll tell you, my viewpoint is that dealership, dealer principals and general managers, and I'm not trying to bag on all of them, but too many of them focus on the numbers first before the customer experience. And I really don't believe it's going to get much better, if, if at all, until they change their tune. Because the reality is, unless we're taking better care of our customers, they're, they're not going to continue coming back. So what do we have to do? We continue chasing the numbers. We need to get more, more dollars per RO. We need to get a higher hours per RO. We need to get a higher effective labor rate, which eventually chases the customer away. There was just a couple of things on LinkedIn this week about YouTube videos posted by customers about how they got ripped off. You know, oh one, gosh, one yeah. person got a, was charged $99 for a cabin air filter that literally takes five minutes to replace. And the, the filter itself is like 30 bucks. How many customers are going to continue coming back once they find that out? Right. Yeah, I it's things like that that are chasing customers away. We're going after the number first. We're not going after the relationship and the experience. I do the Google reviews for my dealership and overwhelmingly they are service driven reviews all the time. And it's, it's getting more expensive. The last time I was there, the experience was bad. I had a lady call in in tears because her service writer had retired and he had gone so far above and beyond for her and nobody else would touch it. Like I, I went back to the service drive and I was like, somebody needs to take care of this lady. And they were like, no, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, you don't get to tell me no. <laughs> but so, she was, yeah. she's probably a loyal customer. She's right. pro probably spent a lot of money in the dealership. So oh, yeah. how, how can you ignore something like that? You know, it, it, typically, I mean, us as, as humans, we typically spend more money with places that we're happy with. Mm -hmm. And and so why would we not put the time and effort into building a long-term relationship with a customer? Yeah, it might cost us short-term money here, money there a little bit. But in the long term, not only do you retain them to spend more money in your service department, but you're also going to get them to hopefully to buy their next car there, whether it's a new car, a used car, whatever it might be. And then really, for me, the end game when I ran stores was creating customer advocates. We, talk, we talked about satisfaction in the 80s and 90s, and then we transitioned to customer retention, and we still haven't made any improvements. But I think if, if you're going to try to satisfy a customer or retain a customer, why not create a customer that's going to be a champion for your store? They, they're going to they're going to tell other people, whether it's friends, coworkers, neighbors, relatives, whatever it might be. 
that should be the the end game with with as many customers as possible. If you do that, you're going to be successful. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust FourEyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try FourEyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. Yeah, you know, that's funny. And you bring up a good point. Um, just from on the marketing side, right? When we talk about spending money to get customers, if you think about the, the cost per acquisition, it's probably more expensive to get your 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 it's probably more expensive to focus on the long-term game, right? Meaning um, getting customers that you can build a loyalty with, right? So, and we were so, to your point, like the DPs and the GMs, for the most part, because there are some, some GMs out there that I've had the pleasure of working with that are focused on both or that were service managers, and then they, they transition. And those tend to be just better GMs. They're just more well-rounded about the whole operation. But um, they tend to be super focused on the right now. Hey, let's get the customer in. We got to sell some units. And we, we're not thinking about that long cycle customer. Like I'd rather pay more and, and you know, not so much on a per sales clip, but to get that customer in that I know I can build loyalty on because that's going to feed my operation long term. And if to your point, if we did that 20 years ago, how much stronger would our dealership be or our group, however you want to look at it? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and I, I don't quite understand how anybody can be satisfied with 25, 30% retention, but you know, we've allowed that to happen over decades now. And, you know, you know, going back to what talking about happy customers spending money, when I was a service advisor back in the eighties, my customers trusted me to a point and we built up such long-term relationships that Nine times out of 10, you know, I would give them options on, on the repairs that were needed on their vehicle. And every time I gave them options, nine times out of 10, they said, you know what? The car's already there. Just take care of it. But I didn't try to slam it down their throat. I didn't try to hit big number objectives, but I still hit my objectives by doing it the right way, by treating them the right way. And, and to your point, Herb, that it, it is a long-term project. When, when I used to um, talk with a GM or a dealer principal about possibly working for, the, for them, the first thing I'd ask them is, what's your expectation for me? How, you know, I want to hear what their viewpoint is. If they told me, well, I need you to flip my service department in three months, I'd say, you're not, I'm not your guy. Because it's going to take easily no less than six months, and it's probably going to take closer to 12 months before you start seeing some some results out of it. And if that's too long for you, then we, we probably shouldn't be working together. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, liked, I like that you – I agree with that, and I like that you talked about your, your own personal experience because I've, I've always said – and this was early on in my career and even on the show. I've talked about it several times, but the – the advisors, man, they're such an uh, underutilized asset in the, in, the, in the operation. They have such a, they have much better relationship with your customer base than your salespeople than anybody else in that dealership. Customers trust them. They, they know 
the, a good advisor is going to know everything about that person. Do they have kids? You know, do they have pets? How do they like their car? All these things, right? And so we could, with the, the you know, that bridge is kind of there already between the customer and the store. And we don't even, sometimes we don't even take advantage of that the way that we should. And to your point, it's not about selling the customer, jamming, jamming anything down their throat. It's about, you know, doing what, 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 says in the title of your position, right? Your advisor, right? You're there to advise them. Correct. And I think that sometimes we, we kind of miss that, the, that whole thing. Right. Um, which brings a question to me, like in your, in your, um, expertise, in your opinion, do you think that that's something that we should be leveraging now more than ever? Like maybe that relationship. It should be leveraged every day. Every day, every month, every year, there, there's no going away. I mean, we have technology coming around and, and, and I look at the technology is great out there, but it, but it's, it's, it shouldn't be, it's not going to make the customer experience necessarily better. If, if they don't like you, they're still not going to come back and do business with you, regardless of how well any kind of technology works for you, whether it's easier to schedule an appointment or electronic right. multi-point inspection with pictures and videos, that's all great. But if you don't have that person to go along with it, uh, to bridge the gap between technology and the experience, nothing's going to change. So to your point, hundred percent, you have, you have to be building on it from day one. Um, I think as an industry, um, like a lot of businesses we read about in America right now, the challenges that I hear at the dealership level is there a lot of service advisors are leaving the business. I'm talking about the long-term people and they're, yeah. they're for lack of a better word, they're throwing green peas out there and they're not giving them the training and, and guiding them through how to, how to do the process the right way. So that, that's a whole nother game that's, that's happening right now. Yeah, and you well, just talked and then about these one. younger generations are the younger generations don't have customer service skills at all. I went to a restaurant um, a couple weeks ago, and there was literally a sign on the side of the cash register describing what um, good customer service was, and it was like, "Fill their drinks, don't use your phone," all of these things, and we 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 hire these really young people that just don't have any customer service skills and and then you can't well, but our so generation is frustrated with them <laughs> so yeah i mean I, i'm going to challenge that a little bit because i don't think that it's that they don't have it is that they we haven't invested in them right because right. at one point I, we started and we didn't have any training and we didn't you know we, we somebody taught us the ropes and t taught us how to do things and i think that we don't we don't to, to Mike's point, like there's just isn't. And, and one of the things I was going to touch uh, as soon as, as, as he shared his thoughts with us is that that's one of my biggest pet peeves, the training side. And I think on the service side, it's even worse than in the front of the house, or at least it was when mm -hmm. I was managing, when I was a service manager, like I was the only one training my staff. Like there wasn't any like group or corporate initiative to make sure that, that these folks were, you know, were, had certain skill sets or were at a certain level. Now, I know that's a generalization as well, because I know that it's gotten better and there's more, more opportunities or more resources in today's world. But man, it just, it still seems like 
We don't do enough training and for service, I think it's even less. And then, but we have these humongous expectations for these folks. And it's like, dude, mm -hmm. how can you have that expectation and set the bar so high and yet provide so little? I don't get that. I don't understand that at all. Well, and, and I, I think first and foremost, um, don't, don't settle for somebody that's going into that position since they touch the most amount of customers of anybody in the dealership on a daily basis. You got to find a people person. You, you can train them. You can teach them what's involved. I mean, when I was a service advisor, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't a technician first. I had no experience. So I was paired up with the, the longest tenured service advisor, and he taught me the ropes the right way because he took care of his customers the right way. And then when it came to technical stuff, I, I would lean on my technicians and have them explain to me what things were, how they worked, what was going to happen if the part wasn't replaced. So when I talked to my customers, at least I sounded somewhat educated, but somehow, you know, I made it work. But I think, you know, if, as long as the person you put out there to to be the front line for your customers has that, you know, they're, they're people friendly. Everything else will, will go a lot smoother at, at that point. But, um, you know, to, talking about you, Herb, what you did as a service manager, that's also a rare rare thing nowadays. One of the things I found out before I, I semi-retired and went into my own consulting, consultants would tell me how they would go into a dealership, they would train the service advisors, they'd leave and three or six months later they come back and nothing's being done that they taught them. And so really it falls back on leadership. And yeah. so I decided I just didn't want to be another uh, trainer out there training advisors. I decided I wanted to train service managers. Because the reality is they're the ones that are going to have to make sure that things are being done correctly every day. They're, they're going to have to coach. I call it the head coach and the head cheerleader. Their job is to be coaching every day with their staff. And then they got to be a cheerleader. They got to pump them up because it's a hard job being a service advisor. If, if you're not oh, there yeah. to cheer them on and make them feel good about stuff, great. But what do you see in a typical dealership nowadays? You see them. Again, chasing numbers, telling advisors, hey, your hours per hour aren't good enough. Your your effective labor rate isn't good enough. Or God forbid the, the stupid CSI surveys. You, you, know, right. you got a bad survey, bum them out. You know, too much negativity and not enough positivity going on. So it, it's a hard job. Yeah, the surest way that you know, okay, if you're a vendor, a consultant, or anything that's providing training for a dealership, I'll tell you right now the surest way to know that it's not going to work. You go, you go to your meeting or you pitch this thing. They, the, the GMs, everybody's like, yeah, let's do this. This is awesome. You go train and not a single manager's in the room. It's going to fail. 100%. Right. It's done. It's doomed. It's not going to work. You're going you're gonna to get a cancellation and it's just a waste of your time. Because first of all, we have such a revolving door in this industry. That's number one. So people come and go every day. Two... If the managers don't know what you're training the, the, the people that are doing the work on, how is he going to help hold them accountable to anything? Right. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even know what the training is about or what the KPIs are or what, what this is even supposed to do. So, um, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. You, I'd rather just go and train one person, the manager, just right. train him one-on-one. -on -one. Let's do that. Because that's more effective than going and trying to train 20 people 
that are not in, that are not there are not leaders in that organization. It makes no sense. And and too many of them get stuck with reports, running numbers, sitting in their offices and not active in the department. You know, one of the things I, I, I prided myself on is that I got to work before we opened so I can get all my reports and all my numbers done because let's face it, numbers are important, but for me, they weren't the number one priority. I, I got them done. I knew where we were standing. I knew what we were forecasting. I knew what we were trending. But then I'd spend the time out there making sure customers were greeted promptly, making sure that the advisors were doing what they needed to be do, walk into the customer lounge, take a trip through the shop, talk to my technicians in the morning, high fives, keep them pumped up. That's that's the way you get your staff motivated to, to come to work and do a great job every day. But if you're going to sit in your office and hope that everything is done right, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, for sure. Charity, for you, because you're on the, you know, you're on the floor level on a, on a daily basis. Do you see emphasis on on the service department? I mean, is that a conversation typically that that is happening? Not just your current store, but just any, you know, just in your experience. Like, was that something that you guys were exposed to? Because I think that's another thing. There's always a disconnect between service and, and the front of the, the back of the house and the front of the house. Like, they don't know what each other's doing. They're they're not they're not kind of working together in a lot of cases and a lot of the stores that I've been in, they're kind of working against each other. Oh. Right. And so yeah, that's what I was going to say is the, the emphasis that the floor has on service is sales. Okay. Oh, look at all these people that are just sitting here in the waiting room that we could sell cars to. And that that's a real quick way to piss off a service manager. <laughs> and, oh, well. Yeah, that's what, so there's a lot of butting heads that happens between the two departments and then they just don't know each other at all. Like the appointment setters in the, in the service drive, they're in the back. Most people don't know who they are. They just know the name on the telephone screen, but they're the, you know, these people have like, to your point, they have contact with the customer's way more than you do when i'm how when i have my teams making outbound calls i have to make sure that they specify that they're on the sales side and not the service side because if they touch anybody who's got a service history the customer's automatically going to think that the service drive is calling them mm -hmm. and for you know an oil change or anything but but yeah that's where all the loyalty is is to the service guys my service guy like I've been using him for 10 years. He's moved buildings and I still go to his building with my car because it's him. Like, and I can walk into the service drive in a complete panic about my vehicle and he just chuckles and fixes it for me. You know, like that's the kind of relationship that you want all of your customers having with the yeah, service. That's drive. right. Like my, my friend, my good friend, Tim Stockwell would say, I want to be your service advisor for life. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to be your service guy for life. I don't want to just be the guy that you see one time. I want you whenever I don't care what car you have, but whenever you have any issues, I'm your guy. I'm your service guy. You come to me. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of the mindset that you have to have in, 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 in that in that role. And to Mike's point, like that role is really hard, man. People don't understand okay. like you're you're selling, but you are advising. And above anything else, you're taking all the heat because mm -hmm. buying the car is awesome. 
but coming and servicing the car, not so much. And you know, all that, the brunt of all that is what the service advisor mm -hmm. takes. So if you don't have your game tight, it's not, it, it's, you know, it can be a mental, a very mentally stressful uh, role. But the better job that you do as a service advisor, building those relationships, those angry customers are, are diffused for the most part. Not that it's never going to happen, but it happens less often. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can remember a story. Um, we had a customer. This was at a Nissan dealership. I was a service advisor. And everybody on the drive referred to him as the customer from hell. And he, he legitimately <laughs> had a lot of problems with his vehicle. And so everybody would either get busy on the phones or run into the shop when they saw him pulling on the service drive. So me being the newbie on the drive, I went out and greeted him. And he worked in the, an office building straight across the street from the dealership. Well, I worked with him. I worked with car, uh, Nissan Corporate to get his car situation resolved. And he became a loyal, dedicated customer. And he sent me his friends and relatives and coworkers. And he ended up spending money there besides having warranty work. And that was... At, Everybody else on the drive had blown him off. Oh, yeah. It Just because he was angry about his car problems. He had a yeah. legitimate gripe, but nobody was really doing anything extra to try to get it resolved for him. Right. And it's not just that they're your service advisor for life. It's they're generational. Like if somebody needs work on their vehicle, I send them to my service advisor. Right. And there you go. It's they're like if you go online and somebody says, "Hey, who's a good doctor in town?" It's the same level for a service advisor. Oh yeah. So. But that personal, that that verbal from you to whoever you tell is priceless. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's gold. That's gold right there. Forget any marketing piece you can put out there. There's nothing more valuable mm -hmm. than that for sure. Yep. And then the and then the follow through on that is then it becomes. We're, we're such creatures of habit. It, it's, it becomes habitual to go to that person because that's who we always go to. And so for them to switch out of that and to go somewhere else, like you have to do something pretty like life altering for somebody to switch a habit. You've got to piss them off pretty good. And, and that's what you, if, if your customers, if you're not re retaining your customers and they're leaving, then why? What are you doing to make them walk away? Or not doing for or them. Not or doing. not doing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. A combination of both in some cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, kind of switching gears a little bit, but, but you know, kind of still saying with, with fixed stops is, um, so I think we're in a really interesting time and there's an article, there's a blog post that we're going to drop next week that kind of talks about this somewhat. But I think we're in a very interesting time because like I was mentioning earlier, I think that we still haven't felt the full effect of, of the, this inventory shortage, you know, holistically when we're looking at our overall operation, but we're in a very interesting time because of the financial situation, right? There's not, you know, there's not, it's not a recession, but interest rates are going up. So, you know, that impacts consumer confidence and, and, you know, all these little things are happening, but, I feel like, and now the mean year, the mean year numbers are up. I feel like um, that's kind of good 
for for the fixed up side of the house, but it is keeping things a little unrealistic. That's just my 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 opinion. Um, Mike, what do you what do you think that we should be doing right now to kind of prepare? Like we we talked about it earlier, right? Less, you know, certainly a decrease in our row. So what can we be doing? Is this the time to mine? Is this the time to focus on on marketing, knowing that we have less kind of cars that are going to be feeding? Um, feeding the drive, like what would, what would your advice be for service managers right now to kind of prepare for next year and even further down the, down the road? Well, I think what I hear consistently in the message is there, there's a, um, obviously there's been a shortage and, and, and there continues to be a shortage of technicians. So I think, you know, I don't think there's one size fits all for a dealership. Some dealerships are in a good spot because they took took good care of their people and they're, and they're not understaffed, but then there's other ones that are bringing in, uh, you know, green peas into the service advisor position. And then they're bringing it, they're trying to actively recruit technicians. So for those people, you, you better get that under control quick before your competition is the one that takes it away. And really the, the biggest competitor for a car dealership is the aftermarket. So, um, but that said, I mean, if I was running a store, I would, as long as I, I was confident in my team being able to handle more work um, based on how, my staffing um, capacity, I would definitely go after both Conquest customers that haven't been to my store and inactives. And the inactives have to be treated differently because they're inactive for a reason. Yeah, Either we didn't treat them right, we charge them too much money, what, whatever it might be. But, um, you know, inactives and conquests have been part of marketing since I started in the business. But I think some some stores just blanket out, send out, you know, 20,000, 30,000 mailers. Are they ready to equip it? And what's going to be different? So if I'm a new customer, I'm, I'm a conquest customer. What kind of experience am I, am I going to have when I come to that dealership? Am I, am I going to be able to provide an experience good enough to keep them coming back and not go to wherever they've been going previously? And then on the flip side, if I've got somebody, you know, Herb, if you're one of my old customers, I mean, the dealership's old customers, and I send a piece out to you to get you back in, are things different now that you're going to come in and say, wow, place is definitely better? Maybe I'll give them another chance. Otherwise, why why waste the marketing dollars? Why do it? Yeah, no, you got totally you got to make sure that you you've got a strong operation. It's not always about marketing. We talked about this early. Marketing can be your own customers getting the word out there about you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and much just, more effective. And and just taking that twenty five percent retention. And what is it? What? How many more ROs a month can you be doing if that retention goes to thirty-five percent or forty percent? That could right. be a huge RO count increase, depending on the size of the dealership. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that we we, and we've kind of covered this already a little bit, but I think that we some somewhere we we got complacent with those numbers and we said, oh, okay, this is good enough for us, and I, it's just not. Um, it's not the way that it should be for a couple of different things. Number one, I can't think of a single independent, call it whatever, um, franchise or whatever that has 
in access, I mean, if we're looking at it holistically, all the amenities and the convenience that a, that a dealership can provide. I just don't think that they can compete at that level. Well, um, but, but it's, not, it's not about the amenities. I mean, you think about right. it, you know, the surveys come out, you know, clean, comfortable waiting lounge, coffee, you know, shuttle service, car wash, on and on and on. And none of that stuff has moved a needle over the last 20 years. That's because the focus isn't on the, on the experience. It's about uh, amenities. And I don't care how good the amenities are and how beautiful it is. And you also, on the flip side, you could have an old facility with great people, meaning great team, mm -hmm. taking good care of your customers, and they could be crushing it. And maybe they, don't, maybe they have terrible coffee and they don't wash cars. Right. And, and it's dirty inside, but but they feel good about how they were treated. Well, yeah, um, that's where I was going, right? So so they have we have amenities on the, on the dealership network side. We have technicians that are supposedly certified on our brand, right? We have that brand loyalty from. You know, we're probably seeing less and less of that now, but you have those customers that are diehard loyals to that specific brand. You have the part side, which you know it's original equipment, and who, you know if you're a brand loyal. Uh, customer, how can you not feel good about that? So we have all these elements is my point, right? You have the car, the brand, you have the technicians, you have the parts, you have the amenities. And for some reason, we still keep losing that game. It's just crazy, right? So um, there's also one, one area that we haven't touched on. And and I, I work with a, a vendor currently that that's in that space, which is tires. Oh, and yeah. that's that's an area where where we in the dealership that's where we lose a lot of them mike what's that that's where we lose a lot of them yeah so first of all the 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 all the studies say that customers will buy 70 percent of your customers will buy from the first person that recommends tires to them and then the second thing is 70 percent of the customers will defect from their current service facility when it comes to tires if it's if they don't buy from them so another staggering numbers of defection and if you think about it if we're keeping the customers typically until the warranty period is up they were already going to need a set of tires but all you ever hear anybody griping about is oh we can't make any gross on the tires we can't make any money on it blah 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 <laughs> and, and the reality is we, we shouldn't be looking at it as, as a money-making opportunity. We need to look at it as a retention piece. Mm -hmm. If I sell them the tires, I keep them. You know, one of the things I did for the last probably 10 years that I was working at dealerships was if I sold a customer a set of tires, I gave them free tire rotations for the life of the tires. So number one is I gave them a value proposition saying, okay, if, if a tire rotation is 20 bucks, and you do it every 5,000 miles and the tires last 50,000 miles, that's 10 rotations. That's $200 value proposition I'm giving to you by buying your tires from me. Why go anywhere else? Plus we give you free road hazard for two years. So now I get the sale and I get that car coming back in my service drive every 5,000 miles and I have an express guy working on it. So it costs me somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe five bucks to get that rotation done, right. how cheap is that? And yeah, I have, but, I've but you'll spend, as a but you'll spend as a, as a service director or a service manager, you'll, you'll spend 
thousand dollars on a mailer right. and I will convert at two percent or something like that. And that's that's justifiable. I totally right. I'm totally with you, man. Like I I did my 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 biggest marketing expense, I think it averaged out to like twenty five dollars a car. Free oil change is free oil changes and free free tire rotations for life. All my customers before this was before synthetic, right? So it was the three thousand mile oil change, twenty seven ninety nine or whatever. I think was our was our was our uh, retail price at the time. But dude, I would pay I would pay thirty bucks to get every one of those customers as much as I po possibly could on the hoist, because I'm going to find something eventually, right? And then they have yeah. the hey, I haven't paid for an oil change and I don't pay for tire rotation, so I mean I get them back and you know that's that's super effective. So to your point, I, I was running it. I took over a Toyota store and, and the owner had just launched lifetime uh, free oil changes. Yeah. Tires for life. Yeah. Uh, no tires, but lifetime oil changes for the oh, life okay. of the car. And um, the advisors weren't on board when I came on board. And I got I worked with them really hard for the first year that I was there. And we, we turned the corner. And by the time we got past year one, the average customer pay on the free oil change RO was over $200. And this was back in 2000 when $200 was worth probably what $400 is right now. Yeah. And I, I'd shown them reports. I'm like, guys, it works. The customer understands the value of getting a free oil change. We're taking good care of them and they're spending money with us. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win. It's super effective. I mean, it's right. so effective. Especially if you had, so I, I, I was at a Ford store when I put that in motion, all the recalls just on that alone, you know, you know how hard it is to get some of these customers in to get their recalls done. It's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. I mean, look at the Takata thing. Those are bullets essentially is what it is that are, that are projected at your face. And what are they at? Like 60% or something yeah. like that. Like, and, and that's been around for almost what, about 10 years now. Dude, yeah, dude, you're gonna die, man. Go get this fixed, and you cannot get these people in the drive. It's insane. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy, but it works. But you know, going going back to tires too. Yeah, um, we I brought up um, electric vehicles earlier, and if you think about it, that's gonna be probably the big, other than the the actual battery in the car. That's probably gonna be your biggest expense with only electric vehicles, they, they're gonna burn through tires faster than, than a combustion engine vehicle. So now you're gonna be replacing tires maybe every 20 to 30,000 miles as opposed to 40 or 50,000 miles. I was scrolling what are you gonna do the at the dealership this, level? Yeah, I was scrolling through the news this morning and one of the headlines was the impact of your tires on the range of your EV. And I was like, hmm. That's, well, I hadn't thought of that. So I <laughs> and so if we're not serious in the car business right now, what's going to happen in 10 years when EVs start becoming more predominant on the road? Mm -hmm. We're still, we're going to lose all those people too, to the places that do sell tires. Yeah. What are, if, you, if you don't prepare now, you're going to be in a world of hurt in the near future. Well, so I, then I, I pose the question, do you think that we have done enough damage on that front, on the tire front of the industry to, you know, like, is there enough, not, that's probably not the best way to word it. Do you think that we, that, rep, that our tire reputation is damaged? And, you know, because if that, if, you know, to your point, right, no oil changes, less maintenance, all these other things, tires is really going to become one of those things. But if the consumer perception is that dealers are too expensive or 
I'm not going to buy my tires at a dealership. How, you know, what can we be doing now to get in front of that? Well, I think most of the, most of the car manufacturers are backing their dealerships with, you know, price guarantees and um, road hazard warranties, which are all big positives on it. And I don't think it's ever too late because if you think about it, we as an industry back in the 80s did a terrible job with oil changes. We treated them like the plague. And, um, you know, you had the Jiffy Lubes and all, all those other similar places pop up all over the country. And obviously they're still with us today. But I think dealerships have done a good job about getting back into the oil change business, you know, putting in lube technicians, express mm-hmm. departments, things like that. I think we at the dealership level have fought back pretty well when it comes to that. And I don't see any reason if you want to be serious about being in the tire business that you can't do the same thing. You know, don't wait for the industry to change. Do it at least at the dealership level, because really you're only concerned with your own market. You're not worried about the national what's going on nationally. It's just what's going on in your own backyard. No, I totally agree with that. But and how important is education too? because how often I mean, I'm sure it happens more now. But again, when I was doing when I was doing it, um, I remember customers come in and complaining about things like a vibration, noise. My car doesn't drive the same as it used to. What happened? And then you go and you know do a little bit of digging, and you find out that they went and bought these cheap tires somewhere that are not the same specifications that are recommended for the car, and it completely changes drivability. It changes their their driving experience, but they they don't attribute that to the tire. They think, well, a tire is a tire. I just put it on the car and you know, something else must be the problem. And then you look at, like I had a, 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 a personal experience myself. I got um, an electric car and I put the, I didn't want to buy the rims from the manufacturer and I got them from, you know, um, a place online, put them on the car. And then the car was driving all, all weird because the, the, the package has some sort of sealant internally that, that molds to that wheel or whatever. And it completely changed the drive of the, of the vehicle. But uneducated consumers don't really know that. And we haven't done a, a, a good enough job to educate them on those things. And so, you know, that could be a, a, a starting point for a lot of us is to well, start just with the education piece. 100% agree. Um, I, I, it starts on the very first service visit. You know, a lot of manufacturers still have, um, you know, they include maintenance, you know, the first few maintenance is free. So at, at each visit, First of all, the vehicle check-in. If it's done correctly, you're looking at the tires visually with the cu- with the customer present. In some cases, you're measuring them. In some cases, you have tools on the drive to measure them for you. And you, and you start talking about it at the first interval, whether it's 5,000 miles, 7,000 miles, 10,000 miles, whatever the case might be. But you start it right there. And, you know, we have a thing that uh, in the Toyota world, we, we talk about selling the green. Um, something that we do a poor job with the multi-point inspection is we only mm-hmm. we only present the bad news to the customer. We never talk about, you know, there might th- be three or four bad things on the MPI or things mm-hmm. that need attention, and there might be 20-plus things that are great. Why aren't we talking about the green? Do you want to go to the doctor's office for a yearly checkup mm-hmm. and you get all these tests done and all he tells you is your cholesterol is too high? Right. No, you want to hear about some of the good stuff too. You know, you don't want to, you don't want all gloom and doom. 
same thing with the MPI. So if we start with the very first visit and it's the consistency in the message to the customer by the service advisor, that's going to get that message across. You're green. Now your tires are moving to yellow. They're going to need attention soon. Just want to prepare you for that because tires are a big expense. And then finally, when they, when their time, you've already earned their trust. It's such an easier path to the sale if you've Absolutely. built that relationship and you've talked about it consistently on every visit. Oh, yeah, 100%. I am, I go through tires really, really fast. And I, I totally defect to the cheaper tire places. And it has absolutely come back to bite me before. But if my service, if the service guys were like, okay, Charity, you know, it's, it's getting close. You, you, we're going to prep you for your next visit. That would be so much easier on my stress level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, take, take, a, take a, uh, a page out of the playbook for America's Tire. Okay. Mm -hmm. America's Tire, you can drive in there any day and get your tire pressure checked instantly. Mm -hmm. America's Tire, you can go in there with your tire pressure light. And if it's got a nail on the tire and it's fixable, they'll fix it free. Mm -hmm. Try doing that at the dealership. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but, but that's that's another another avenue towards the path towards tire sales if you want to be serious about it. But you know, you're not gonna make any money on those. Okay, so what? What about keeping the customer or maybe even earning a customer? What if a you're you're at a Toyota store and a guy with a Toyota drives up with the tire pressure light on, you find out it has a nail in the tire. Now you're going to charge them 25 bucks. You're not going to make any money on the $25 and you didn't any, earn any goodwill from the customer. What if you said to them, hey, you got a nail in the tire. I'm going to have my guy fix it for you. It's no charge. Yeah, it's better. That's a better experience for sure. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of things Alrighty. that dealerships can be doing. It's it's <laughs> a lot there's, of there's no excuse for why they can't be better than what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All righty, sir. Man, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Um, there's one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a couple minutes to just tell folks um, what you do. How can they get in touch with you? Where Where can they find you? So probably the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Um, so uh, name of my company is ASMC, which stands for Auto Service Manager Co Coaching. And uh, typically um, I, I am staying local to Southern California. So if there's any Southern California dealerships watching that, that could use my experience, my expertise, by all means, reach out to me. Um, you can you can call me at 909-437-7334. You can email me at mikevogel56 at gmail.com. And uh, that's that's my gig. Right on. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes too, folks. So if you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcast fix, go to the show notes. Or if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, then go to the video description for Mike's contact information. Again, Mike, Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Now, there is one question we ask everybody that comes on the show, and that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? Well, 
I'm going to talk specifically about fixed ops. Um, I think the biggest challenge is uh, getting away from the numbers. I'm hopeful that more stores will get away from the numbers and the transactional experience and make it more about the customer experience. That's what what my hope is. Whether it, it actually happens, that's that's a whole another story. But that's that's the conversation that dealerships need to be having today if they want to survive in the future. Right on. Thank you so much, uh, Mike, again for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in. That's all the time we have for today. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected what our DT vendor management. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk.